Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community. My name's Ed Pennell, and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts, and leaders from across the franchise community, discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind. On this episode, my guest is, well, actually, it's myself. Um, This week, I thought it'd be interesting after recording 50 episodes of the podcast for for me to have a turn at speaking really and so uh, I've got a good friend of mine, a franchisor and um, experienced entrepreneur in, in Brian Armitage from Teslom to um, step up and, and interview me. He's got a background within the recruitment industry so I thought it'd be interesting for him to, to dive into my background and um, find out a little bit about how the podcast was created uh, why I created it and uh, my, my journey as I changed careers a couple of times and eventually found my way into entrepreneurship. So um, hopefully you'll still get something useful and interesting out of this if, if nothing else. Uh, just get to know a little bit more about why why this podcast exists. But um, Ryan, um, yeah, is, is the man in control and, and asking the questions and um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this one goes and, and I hope he kind of goes a little bit easy on me. I don't think I was too rough to him. So uh, yeah, let's see how it goes. But um, before we before we jump into that interview, um, I just want to give my, my usual shout out to the sponsors of the podcast, Symphony. Um, I have to say, you know, this is completely unscripted from me and um, I, I, I'm really um, pr- so proud to be sponsored by a brand like Symphony. Um, having got to know Tim over the, the last however many months it's been and, and understanding his business and the opportunities that um, his business can, can help any organization really uh, to, to create for themselves, I think is fantastic. Um, I'm somebody who, who really believes in personalizing a process for everybody and, and that we live in a world where we all want something right now. You know, we're, we're not... We're not patient people, especially when you're online and you're, you're putting in a request to a company. We're used to an immediate response, and and if we don't get the response, it's very likely we'll go somewhere else um, to find uh, somebody who will get back to us quickly. So, the the service that Symphony provides, 24/7 uh, call answering, email handling, web chats, uh, social media response service i think is so so important for any brand whether they're in the franchising industry or or any other industry i think that service is so so important to make sure that you do not miss an opportunity so if you want to check out symphony and what they do um, you can find them on www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised so make sure you check them out and um, yeah thanks again to them for for sponsoring this podcast so Without any further ado, time to get on with this interview. I'm, I'm kind of nervous going into it, I have to admit, because uh, I'm normally the one doing the question, answering the, you know, asking the questions, and I don't have to say too much, but for this episode, I'm, I'm the main person speaking. So let's see how it goes, and hopefully you enjoy it, and I'll catch you on the other side. So, Ed Purnell, welcome to 
the Disenfranchised podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ryan. It feels very strange being on the other <laughs> side and have you say that rather than me. But uh, mate, I feel like I've got the power. I feel like I've got the power right now. I can ask you anything, mate. It can go nuts <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah. oh, this is so strange but thank you for for agreeing to, to to do this with me and um yeah looking forward to see seeing what i say to be honest with you yeah it's an interesting one the nerves are like starting to settle a little bit for me because i feel like i've got this massive responsibility but let's 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 forget about me for a second and start with you and i'm sure everyone listening would love to how know how you got to this day right now so for me, I, I want to strip it right back because I do know a little bit about you, but I want to strip it right back if we can start roundabout. Did you enjoy school? Did you hate school? Did you Were you good at school? Were you bad at school? Were you what, what were you like at school? Tell me a bit about you at school. Sure. So um, at school, I guess I was, you know, the film The In-Between is, I feel like I'm kind of that, right there, right? So I wasn't one of the cool kids. I wasn't one of the... Um, the thick kids or anything like that, you know, I was somewhere in between. I was, I was naturally good at um, things like maths and art, but um, just probably didn't apply myself properly in all honesty, because it was too easy for me to just stroll into a test and just give all the right answers in maths. It was just, wow. I, d- I didn't try, tr- I didn't try. And then it was uh, the, the subjects like geography and English, I didn't do so well in because you actually had to sort of learn stuff and, and think about it a bit. So yeah. I struggled there, but yeah, art art was fairly easy again because I just create something and then kind of write the backstory afterwards. My teacher always yeah. wanted me to say, "How did you get to create that that design or you know that picture?" And I was like, "Uh, well, let me see," <laughs> and then just start writing stuff out. So, um, basically, I got into A levels and um because it was just felt like it was the the next step in 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 what I wanted to you know what I had to do. But halfway through, I realised I didn't didn't like um, didn't really enjoy it. I was doing maths, art, and IT because I thought that was the way to go. I thought that's where everybody. I think you're a similar age as me, mate. I think you might be a little bit younger than me, but I think round about that era was everyone was like, "Go and get a job in IT." Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Well, I'm I'm 38, 39 this year. I reckon I'm a lot older than well, you. Well, the same age. I'm 39 in June, so yeah, uh, exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, we're going pretty much the same age. Yeah, and yeah, everyone yeah. said go and get a job in IT. It's the future. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. I took an A level in IT, and um, yeah, that probably was the killer for me. The other two I could probably could have been all right with, but that one it was just too intense. And so, um, I remember the um, the day when I I. I gave up the A-levels because I'd been out on the lunch break playing football with my mates. So I had my my shirt untucked, had my trainers on and was just like, just strolling around while everyone else was in lessons and the deputy head came along and and threatened to suspend me. So I, um, yeah, told him to go fuck himself and and left (laughs) basically at that point. I had, (laughs) I had a, I had a part-time job and um, yeah, like the money. And so, sort of thought, well, I'll just go and do that full time instead. So that's probably not. What was not that? What was that doing? Putting up marquees. So yeah, it? yeah, literally just putting up marquees for a living. So um, nothing too glamorous, but it was it was fun. I was with what? my mates, having a good laugh, playing football. What did you What did your mum and dad think about you quitting your A levels and putting up tents? <laughs> well, my my dad left when I was about uh, six. So he was out of the picture, never heard from him since then. And my mum was just happy as long as I was happy, to be honest with you. So 
Um, I didn't really have a strong kind of guiding light in, in terms of where I should take my career, what I should be doing, how, how my future should be planned out. It was very much do what makes you happy and, and, and go with it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I did and right, rightly or wrongly. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I got into that, that kind of full-time job. Um, how, how long were you doing, how long were you doing that for? So just just of, to stop for a second, because just ask what bit about my family? Have you got any brothers or sisters or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, I've got. Um, so one sister who's on who's the same mum and dad as me. Yeah. But she's now died. You know that one, right? Um, yeah. I've then got uh, two sisters on my mum's side. And then I've got a brother and a sister that I'm aware of on my dad's side. Uh, who I don't really see, so yeah. So no contact at all with your dad. Uh, he's he's now died. Oh, okay. About wow. I don't know four years ago, something like that. So yeah, zero and contact. Was uh, he, he was he was basically an alcoholic who um uh yeah my the sister on the dad's side he he went to her house and just stole from her stole from her, her liquor cabinet you know and um took money off her stuff like that. So he's, he's a bit of a dickhead basically. Yeah, so you didn't have much of a relationship with him on. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I didn't want to. I didn't care, to be honest no. with you. Like, no. he was, um, he was an, I remember um, waking up one morning and going to see him, my mum and dad's room, and there's my mum with a big fat lip. And that was, that was the first sort of step to sort of uh, me not caring. I was, you know, bear in mind I was six. And then I remember seeing him in the town centre and my sister, um, you know, was excited to see him, waved and shouted, and he sort of just waved and, and carried on walking. You know, and I was like, yeah, that was that was it for me, really. I stopped supporting West. That's tough, that though, isn't it? At a young age, seeing that that must have been. Yeah, well, what it, the main thing it meant to me at that point in time is I stopped supporting West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was the important thing for me at that time. Was I, you know, right? That's it. I'm not supporting West Ham anymore. That was how I could get back at him and start supporting uh, Arsenal instead. So. Yeah. Okay, and then just I've got to ask because we have talked about it a little bit. Could could just we sister what happened with your sister? What, what when did she pass away and what what age was that? And yeah, so she was um uh well she got uh, cancer in her, her hip basically is a skeletal cancer, and um yeah they did a lot of surgery and and stuff like that um to try and get rid of it chemotherapy and all of those those good things um but yeah it didn't it didn't happen uh, it didn't work out in the right way so uh she battled with it for about 12 18 months but yeah we lost her then so that's probably um i'm not very good at remembering dates so it's probably about when, when you chat it under the under the pressure as well of the podcast as well so trying to remember dates it sort of falls away really easily doesn't it so yeah well i, I, I think i'm good at blocking things out in my mind you know so i I don't remember the date particularly. I remember experiences from that time, but I don't remember like that sort of stuff because it, it's not what's important to me at that point in time, I guess. So mm. I, th- I think it's about 12 years ago. Um, but, you know, I'm not counting. Like I say, it's yeah, yeah. It's some it, that kind of side of it, thinking about how long something's been. I don't think about it. I just kind of, yeah, try and remember the good try bits. The good times, the good, the good parts of it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Okay. 
so we've 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 quit we've quit A levels. We're putting up uh, marquees, not tents. So it's a bit of a I might get shouted at. Um, <laughs> and then and then how old are you then, mate? How, how old are you then, roughly? Uh, so when I finished the with the marquees, I did it for eight years, and I was yeah twenty four about that time. So um, two year two years before that, I'd I'd had this kind of epiphany moment in a nightclub, you know, where I was looking around. So I used I used to go to the nightclub like a couple of times a, a week, maybe maybe three times, something like that. Yeah. So I spent that's where I spent all my money. But yeah. um, I remember just being there sober looking around and going it's full of 16 year olds this you know what am I doing with my life what what's going on and then I started to think about everything and realized you know I was wasting my my life you know there was no career and no progression so I needed to do something about it but it's really difficult when you've six years all you've done is uh you know manual labor uh, with no kind of skill behind that that you could transfer or progress and uh, yeah, I struggled to find a, a new opportunity. And um, it wasn't until sort of two years later, with a lot of help from my wife, um, now wife, uh, I managed to get into the recruitment industry. So um, yeah. It's interesting. Actually, just one night in a nightclub, you just had an epiphany and thought, I need to sort this out sort of thing. And then sort of just got your girlfriend at the time was now your wife. And you said to her, I'm not going to do this anymore. What shall I do? And you, you sort of worked together to get into the recruitment industry. She, she wasn't my girlfriend at that point in time. So I was, you know, I was there for a reason at <laughs> the nightclubs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Prowling the nightclubs. Whereabouts is this? Where is this? Whereabouts uh, in the country? Yeah. So I, I, I grew up in a village called Selinge, which is near um, Ashford and Folkestone down in the southeast of Kent. Um, so, yeah. I'm focusing a lot of the time and, and yeah and I still remember it now just looking around going yeah I've got to stop this I've got to do something else and then yeah a year or so later I guess I met my my wife and then um yeah I went from there really and so tell me about your recruitment what was that like mate what, what, what was that like where was your first job at and what was that like so that is on the high street with Reed Reed um doing customer service temps and admin and data entry and all of that good stuff and um that was about three months before the recession hit so i uh yeah about 2008 yeah 2008 yeah. so so basically it was tough right <laughs> uh, well the, the thing is i know what you do now so it must have taught you some good skills on the phone that's where you must have learned your craft a little bit more surely yeah, ex exactly. What it what it forced me to do was to be better at sales and better at building relationships because there were still companies that were recruiting. They still needed staff and temporary staff in particular, but you know they already had relationships in place. There was lots of recruiters, you know, scrabbling around desperate to find work. So to try and get into those those companies, um, it was it was pretty tough. And I remember one particular company called Breaks. They uh, yeah. manufacture and distribute um food they had a uh absolutely massive oh yeah yeah they're pretty pretty big they got a head office based in um in ashford where i live and the the the, the guy who, who ran the place or, or the brothers they used to one of them used to live around the corner from from where i live now so uh 
big in these parts. I didn't know you'd know about them, but yeah, they supply kind of like food into schools and places like this, right? Airports, everywhere, mate, all over the place, breaks, they do everything. Yeah, so their their call centre was a good place for temps and um, somebody before me um, had absolutely ruined that relationship and um, I managed to, yeah, find find a way to get, get hold of the um, the main point of contact in the call centre and just was very honest with her. And I got, I got a lot of support from the team at Reed at that point in time. And we, we worked out what the challenges were and, and overcome them. And we became their main supplier over the next few years that I was there at least anyway. So yeah, I, I learned a lot from being there. Yeah, it was all right. And, um, I mean, with Reed, you get this, um, this week long training at the Cotswolds, right at the, the manor house and it's intensive, but it's given me sales structures that I use today. Um, so how to structure a sales call, how to structure a client meeting. Um, yeah. I still use them, not, not kind of like, uh, religiously, I'm not sitting there planning out every aspect of it. Yeah, and... You don't know the baiting, but it's giving you the craft and that's why I like, I love sales because I do believe it is a craft. So it's, um, it's a, it's great to hear that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it, it applies to everything um, I've realized in a, any kind of situation. But having that structure there just gives you that that kind of base to start off with so that you never feel lost in any conversation or, or lost in a meeting. And um, yeah, it, working for a big corporate organization like that, I think you get a really good um, base set of skills given to you so that in, you can go into... Um, other worlds and, and apply it, you know, in, 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 a, in a, an effective way. But be, being at Reed, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was uh, when the recession hit, uh, there were MDs and financial directors from companies applying to all these data entry and call center jobs I had. And of course, my, <laughs> my clients weren't looking for somebody who's going to be there, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and disappear as soon as a good, a better job came along. So we had to sort of turn a lot of these people away. And the, I remember a few of them saying, well, what, what can I do? I just want any job. I just need to be active. I don't want to live off my my redundancy money. You know, I've got family to feed and all this stuff. And I was just there going, can't help you, I'm afraid. So that's a big point that stuck out in my mind. Yeah. So how, how, what happened? How did you get into franchising, doing this podcast from Reed? What, what, what's the journey from there to now? So what happened after Reed? You, you're doing well, you're billing, you're making a good desk. What, why, why leave Reed? What was the point in that? Yeah, so um, I didn't love Reed, to be honest with you. I didn't love the corporate environment. So I found uh, another, um, it, it basically is very KPI driven. So you were forced to make... Um, 50 calls per week, regardless of what workload you had on to, to deliver on the other side. So, you know, even if I had 20 jobs I needed to fill, you still got to do those 50 calls and it just didn't make sense. You couldn't provide a, a quality service. So, um, I was lucky enough to find another opportunity around the corner from, from where I was there with a, a smaller consultancy recruitment consultancy, and that was focused on recruiting for engineers and commercial managers and procurement professionals within uh, the oil and gas industry on an international basis. So, uh, yeah, I was recruiting for people in places like Kazakhstan, Iraq, 
you know, all the all the nice locations where oil and gas is, oh. Aberdeen, you know, all the all the good ones. Right. But um that, that... But that's a big jump, isn't it, from servicing brakes basically to, to do an international recruitment with a different sector. This it's not a little jump, that's quite a big jump, isn't it, really? I mean Yeah, well the the salaries go you know, at that point in time were sixteen, eighteen, twenty thousand was a fairly big salary and what I was doing locally, you know um to oil and gas industry we wouldn't look at anything under 40,000 as a salary um but i mean i don't even know the salary of the, the the highest paid person i place because in the oil and gas industry what they'll do is they'll give a notional salary and then they'll add on top all of these bonuses for you know tax yeah. reasons basically so yeah. i i for a, there was a company called ENI who are uh, an oil and gas operator, very very similar to Shell, and um, they're bigger than like BP. They're they're, they're absolutely huge, and I found them a, a legal manager to go and work in Iraq, um, basically for six months of the year, so twenty eight days on, twenty eight days off on rotation, and he was easily over three hundred thousand pounds a year, wow. easily. That that was fairly close to the notional salary I was given and that I could base my fee off of. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he had so many bonuses and add-ons and golden handshakes and all these kinds of things that were tied into it. So yeah, it, it was pretty serious industry to be a part of. It did, weren't yeah, as many yeah. placements, but the placements you did manage to do would bring in significant revenue for the business and therefore decent decent commission for myself. So um yeah, that was it was good fun and and um I, I really enjoyed the business development side of it as well because um yeah, I managed to get in with companies like Shell in the Netherlands as well. So um the stuff I'd learned from Reed really really helped, I think, to to build those yeah, relationships. Like you've got a real flair for it. I bet you're, I bet you're very good on the phone, mate. It sounds like you created some good relationships there quite quickly, you know what I mean? Just just to just to pause on work. Personally, where are you up to life? You're married now, kids on the way, have you settled in a town somewhere? What are you doing there? Um so no kids at that point, but we had a, a pretty good year commission wise. So um decided to get married. And then that would have been twenty yeah, I should know this. Twenty thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mrs. isn't gonna watch this. <laughs> <laughs> you might, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, 20, 2013, we got um, married, but we <laughs> it was a big year. We got we uh, we bought a car, then decided to move house, and then got married in the August in uh, Rhodes. So we went overseas, and then for our honeymoon, we decided to go traveling for well, just under three months as well. So we we ended wow. up going around Southeast Asia and. Um, well, China and all those those sorts of places. So, mega. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. But um, so did, did we work all right? We having a holiday break and all that sort of stuff. They were cool with all that. I took it as a three month sabbatical, and they were they were fine. Yeah, I mean, Brilliant. I was I was billing pretty well. So yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you want something? Okay, yeah. so we're at this company now. We're billing. Everything's going well. Just bought a house. Got married. What, what's next? What's next, Fred? Where, where, where are we going next with it? Yeah, so um, the come back and the next year in 2014, had a, a kid on the way, uh, first daughter on the way. But the probably 
bigger impact for us on that, or for me in that year was uh, the oil and gas industry absolutely crashed. So much like the recession for, for the most of the, the, the rest of the world, oil and gas industry was buoyant at that point in time. But, you know, during 2014, the price of oil went from $145 a barrel down to $25 a barrel. And basically, the it's especially in the area of the oil and gas industry I was operating in, which was basically new projects that were constructing <clears throat> oil rigs and, and things like this, all projects stopped overnight. And yeah, that basically meant mass redundancies around the world. And I just remember seeing them, like looking at the news, it was 7,000 people have left that company in Aberdeen, 10,000 in London, 20,000 in, in that one, you know, and, and it just was continuous for the next six to six to nine months. And, and basically um, it meant there was, there's nothing left for me to do in that industry really. So I had to, to try and set up a new division for the company within the construction sector. And that was an absolute nightmare, <laughs> absolute nightmare, just because uh, you would you would negotiate a fee level, do the work, do it successfully, and then they'd ne- you know negotiate after the person has started. So yeah, I hated it. I, I hated yeah. that part of it and um, it's yeah, a big difference than placing three hundred thousand pound candidates to deal with the building industry and trying to negotiate deals after you've done it and stuff like that. Yeah, it just it just wasn't so enjoyable. So uh, it made me kind of think and analyze a bit more about my life. You know, what do I want to do? Am I am I enjoying this? And I wasn't. I was feeling a massive weight on my shoulders at that point in time with a you know young kid and probably another one on the way. Uh, he was born in twenty sixteen, so. Yeah, across those next couple of years, it was really tough. And um, yeah, I just hated going into work every day. It was the worst. And so I had a little sort of conversation with myself, you know, sat down and wrote out all of my um, my values and my goals and, and you know, all of those things that you should do, I think, when you've got to work out where you are in life. And it was tough to do because I've never really been a person who knows what I wanted to do with my life. I've never said right, that's it, I'm going to be a lawyer or I'm going to take this. It's always been kind of, although I've stuck, you know, to roles for a long period of time, I've never kind of gone, this is the career, this is where I'm happy. So yeah, I I sat down and did this and it was a really good exercise because I realized that I'm not somebody who enjoys repetition. I need to be at the kind of forefront of something, building, creating. And um, yeah, I need variety in my day. And I realized that um, I needed to do something creative, ultimately something in the marketing world. So I decided to try and apply for jobs within the the design industry or marketing sort of uh, industry. And uh, there's loads of them in Kent, but none of them would take me on because I was labelled a recruiter. Right, same problem I had before as a labourer. Nobody's interested unless you've got experience. So I thought about setting up my own business at that point in time, but I. I was self-taught in, in terms of marketing, which I was using in in um, in recruitment, by the way. You know, I was uh, getting in social media. I was, you know, looking at paid advertising campaigns and stuff like this. So it wasn't like I was devoid of experience. I've been learning a lot online as well, going through various courses and things like this. But yeah, I just couldn't see how I could compete with these big design companies or marketing agencies and thought... 
I've got, you know, I've got no hope. Like I've, I don't know how to do it. I don't even know how to start a company. So yeah, I just basically plodded along in recruitment until I could find a job that would allow me to move into a more creative role. And I, I managed to find that with expense reduction analysts. So expense reduction analysts were looking for somebody to join their, their franchise recruitment team within the marketing um, arena. And because I've got recruitment background and knew a bit about marketing, that was this kind of combined uh, area but of expertise. Also, but also the other stuff you've said about, you know, new stuff, you know, that, the, the piece about that franchising fills that hole as well, doesn't it, you see? You think about that as well. Yeah, I guess in I guess in some ways, yeah, I'm able to do the sales side of things, I guess. Um, but having something new to go out all the time and variety and new things coming in and being at the sharp edge of the business—that's what franchising is as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But I, I guess I didn't realise it at the time. I I actually thought it looked like a quite a boring company. <laughs> <laughs> but what what I I quickly realised is actually. They're, they're business optimizers, right? So what they're looking for all the time is the the, the next new technology, the next new way to um, improve a business to help them save money. So actually learning about them and what their franchisees were doing was really quite, it's quite exciting actually when you dig into it. Um, you yeah. just have to get over the, the name perhaps a little bit. But once, once I got in there, um, yeah, I was almost given free reign to sort of come up with ideas and, and execute them how I wanted to. So that was, it was a really exciting yeah, time. Dream and, job. Thank you very much. Dream job. Yeah. 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 And, um, I, le I learned so much in the first 18 months, two years really, and, um, got to experiment with, um, creating shows for, for the franchise sales side, you know, controlling the, the homepage. And, um, we managed to grow the, the followers from, I mean, yeah, quite well, massively. And, um, I then, restructured how we had our social media on online so that it, it could give us more flexibility to be able to market for franchising because yeah. it was tied in with the client side and we had to be a little bit careful and I, I wanted to be a bit more open and um yeah I did that I managed to grow followers to the point where you know uh now probably two years later we're up to nearly 50,000 followers for that page so wow. it's it, it it was really good. Just was allowed to go out there and experiment, try things, and um, yeah, well, it's, it's, I feel like I feel like there's been a natural lead from recruitment to tap it into it, understanding it, enjoying it, and then you've been given a role where you've been able to use your recruitment, bit of that, and then go for the go for the actual thing you enjoy the most, the marketing side of it. Yeah, and so it, it's 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 been it's been absolutely brilliant to be honest with you, and. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I couldn't have wished for a better opportunity. Really, I think. Yeah. Um. And and then of course I learned franchising about the franchising industry, and I think the biggest shock for me was that banks in the UK will actually loan. Um. You know, I, I think at the point at the, the early stages they were loaning up to eighty percent, um, to ERA franchisees, and that's not just for the price of the license. That's the price, or the cost of operating the business for the first 12 months mm -hmm. and um, some some living expenses as well included in that as well. So, you know, you could, you could, with £20,000 get, you know, as a deposit, get 100000 to to play with to, to pay for a license and then live off of wow. for the first year as well. So it gives, I mean, what other world can you be in 
where the banks will help you set up from from day one and yeah i i was i was amazed i was like shit why why are more people doing this like i couldn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> couldn't believe it it was um and, and, and so you dig into it it wasn't just the expense reduction analysts there was more brand you know, loads of brands out there that had the same sort of deal with the same structure in place and i learned it's because for the banks if they're loaning money to somebody to start up a business somebody who's going to go out there and follow a proven model a proven methodology on how to create and build this business with the support of entrepreneurs around them that know how to do it and can help them overcome challenges it's a much safer way for banks to loan you know lend money rather yeah. than um joe blogs who's got an idea to have the uh you know the best cakes in the world <laughs> you know there's no no proof that they're going to be the most successful cake you know baker or maker out there i'm not sure if that's the best example but you know what i mean right like yeah, how, yeah, how can that person say i know 100 percent i'm going to be or you know even 90 percent certain that i'm going to be successful there's so much competition Whereas, Such an interesting learning curve that because I only went recently, well, three years ago, learned about that myself. We've been in franchising for ages. I didn't realise until I got talking to a bank. Now we're the same situation. It's such a, I feel like it's a hidden agenda out there in the world that maybe the, you feel like the bank should have it on TV adverts and stuff, shouldn't you really? But uh, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I, it was a big learning curve for me as well. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was. It's quite in, inspiring, really, to see um, there's so many businesses and brands out there doing this. And uh, I guess my, my thoughts about franchising was the same as everybody else's, right? I thought, is McDonald's, you need half a million um, yeah. to even get anywhere with it. But, you know, once you've got it, you've got guaranteed income coming through. And I realize now that's just not really the case, even for McDonald's. I, I was speaking to a guy in America about it. He said, I've seen McDonald's um, outlets open and the franchisees get themselves into three and a half million dollars worth of debt and, you know, not made it work for whatever reason. Not it's not a guarantee. But the, what... Yeah, th this is the thing with franchising, it isn't a guarantee, but yeah. But so, the... mate, just, just, so let me get back into, we all line of your career. So you're ERA, you're smashing it, you're, everything's going to plan that way. How long have you been there for? Uh, to this point, three and a half years. Okay. Three and a half years. So, yeah, it's been, and, and been good. It's been been good. Learn a lot. Learn about the marketing. So you've predominantly, what's your role now there? What are you doing there now at the minute? Just give me a brief well, it's, it's coming to an end, uh, the, the end of this month. But um, I've been focusing more on the sales side of things. So um uh, working again internationally with um speaking to speaking to uh potential franchisees potential franchisees yeah yeah and and helping them to to go through that that sales that that recruitment process you know um or buying process i guess is 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 more accurate to say from their side so a lot of the time it's talking to people about their careers and where they're at, you know, making sure they're in the right frame of mind to be doing something like this, because a lot of people will just kind of investigate and actually they're nowhere near, uh, you know, ready to, to invest and start a new business there. A lot of them are just wanting to find an easy way to get clients, <laughs> you know, that's as a consultant or they're looking for a new challenge and really they can just find that through employment. So a lot of the time it is just uh, being like a career coach to them, 
but also um, a lot of what I've done with ERA is to set up the recruitment process, you know, to make sure that we're providing people with the right information at the right time. So the thing I, fo- I have had found frustrating when I first started looking at it was that maybe that we weren't getting back to people quickly enough, you know, and um, I'm, I'm all about kind of personalizing the service to people as much as possible. So as as soon as we know something about them, we can then personalize their journey rather than just putting them through like a, a meat grinder where they just all get churned out the same. I want to be able to understand everything about that person first so then I can tailor the the the, the information we give to them and in, in what order, you know. Um, so I want to get them on the phone as quickly as possible. So we set yeah. up a structure to be able to do that. Um, and and improve improve the number of leads was something really important for us to do. And I managed to um, use that recruitment experience that I had um, to, but you, you'll know it um, more than more than most. But I set up a resourcer basically internally, yeah, yeah. and got them finding the right people for me. How I would have done it in the past. And Give then, me people to talk to. Just all you're doing is get put me in front of as many people as possible. Yeah, but basically, but starting to implement and use technology in the right way to to make it as efficient as possible for everybody you know you spend so much time going backs and forwards for example just setting up meetings and that's that's 15 minutes you could actually you know for each call you you arrange in a day you could stack that up to being another call and while i don't like to necessarily think of it as a numbers game recruitment is a numbers game to a certain degree you know and Let's have it right. Most sales businesses are, you know, anything you're selling a product, you need to speak to as many people as possible to sell the most amount of things. Well, and actually, I I view it as a form of marketing as well, because even if they're they're not interested or it's not right for them, as long as you give them a good experience and and leave, they leave understanding the business well and a good feeling about who who they've dealt with and and the, the brand itself. They, they potentially be, can be somebody who refers um, your business to someone else for whatever reason, you know, and and that I think is really important. That's why I've never said that was a wasted call. Like, what's the point yeah. in speaking to that person? They've not got the right experience. I, I, I'll look at it as a, a, you know, perhaps a slight mistake that we shouldn't be targeting those people. But instead, I think actually, well, it was worth it. Um, and I, I've got a little example, actually, from from recruitment where that happens and, and it's in marketing. Um, so I was messing around with LinkedIn um, in, in in recruitment and posted a, an advert out there and I, it was actually for a colleague of mine. They they were off on leave and um, their client had came in with a a job and they said you just deal with it. I think they knew it was a tough one, right? It was a for the rail rail industry. It's for a piling director. I did, yeah. I did the usual research that I would do. Found out there's like 10 companies in the UK that do this this kind of work. And and therefore, there's only like eight people who actually got any relevant experience that don't work for my, haven't worked for my client or weren't working for my client. So it was nigh on impossible to actually find anybody who was relevant. Uh, they all knew each other as well. Well, anyway, I stuck out uh, an advert on LinkedIn. I just put a nice picture of some railway, a railway track with a little sort of text there saying, you know, here's the opportunity. And um, I wasn't expecting much, but then I got a phone call from a lady who said, 
um, oh, I've just seen your post um, uh, on LinkedIn. Can, you know, my husband's a piling director and he's looking for a new opportunity at the moment. I was, I was like, what's his name? Had a look for him on LinkedIn and looked for him on all the job boards. He wasn't there at all. Like, but because I was linked with her and she was an accountant, it turned out, you know, she saw it and, and you know, referred oh, her. Wow referred me to her husband or referred her husband to me however you want to look at it so there's a, there's a little kiss to uh, personal brand there i didn't know a little bit but we'll maybe save that for another time there's a little kiss to personal branding there yeah so uh, the fee that i generated from that advert was 13 and a half thousand which for me was <laughs> about, do you want it? about 1500 in in commission so <laughs> <laughs> Do, that that really kind of cemented my thoughts around it all. You know, that there's there's not necessarily bad connections, but you shouldn't proactively go out to reach out to everybody and anybody. Like you should be targeted in your approach. But connections from your past, they're not bad connections. They're still they're still worthwhile. So um, yeah. same same in any form of recruitment or, or sales for me is just make sure you're leaving people with a good experience. And then um, at some point, they could be a good referral for you, referrer for you. Okay, so we've, come on, you, you told us a little bit, you're leaving at the end of the month, ERA. What, what's going on? What's what's the next step for you, mate? Where, where are we going next? What's happening? Yeah, so, um, you know, I guess after learning about the franchising world and seeing how, um, <laughs> you know, how, missed, how much of a missed opportunity it could have been for me, I actually started to look at um, some franchise brands myself to, to maybe go into that marketing world and nothing kind of really clicked for me. And um, I, I think I ended up realizing that maybe I'm not the best franchisee in the world. <laughs> I wouldn't be the best franchisee in the world. Um, but the, the overarching thing for me was this was a missed opportunity. If after the oil and gas industry, you know, when I had a, a lot more kind of capital, I would kind of realized these opportunities were out there. I could have gotten into marketing a lot quicker. I could have had the right support. I could have set up my own company and things could have been a lot different, you know? Um, and I, I was like, there must be so many other people out there that are in the same situation. And it's so frustrating that they just aren't aware of it as an option. You know, if I look back to my education, it was, you have to go into A-levels, you have to then do uni and go through that, that route. And I was, I like money better. So I went for the money, you know, and having fun. So yeah. if I'd have known back then that it was a different option, maybe I'm not saying I definitely, but maybe I could have, um, you know, found a loan and invested in, in my, my career. I always so think about my kids. You'll be the same as me is what would I do with them when they get to that stage of leaving education? And I often think, you know, a franchise might be a good opportunity for them because if they were, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, having their own business for the next five years, for me personally, knowing what I do in my personal journey, is that I think that would probably put them in the best stead they've ever been in their whole life. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a big brand where you spend hundreds of thousands. You know, there's ones out there yeah. for, you know, five thousand. I mean, you, you wanna, you're probably going to take more of a risk for the lower, lower mm -hmm. value ones, but that's not so much of a risk when you compare it to university. You know, that you're putting them no. through university. Okay, they they do get some education at the back end of it, but and some skills to go with it. But I, I look at a lot of the people I know that went to university, they don't use their degree in, in any shape no. or, or form. So nowadays you're forking out, what is it, 24 grand, 30 grand to put them, yeah, yeah. them through uni. 
and and no guarantee of a, a, a you know high paid role at the end of it. Whereas mm. putting them through a franchise course for two or three years, you know, and and then building up their own business, at least they've got some real life business skills that they've they've either learned or or, or capitalized on. They could be you know absolutely flying and earning more money for themselves at that point. But yeah, I I just felt frustrated that nobody had really made me aware of those opportunities years ago. It was not something that crossed my path at all. And I don't think it's right for everyone. I don't think it's right for me right now, but it could have no. been in the past and it could be in the future. And yeah. all I wanted was it, it, as, it as an option. Yeah. So I moaned to a lot of people about it for quite a while. You know, why isn't it seen as a an option? And realized that no one had the answer. And so I needed to just do something about it. So that's why I started the podcast. And um, from there, I've, you know, I've, I've built up a good network of, of, of calling friends now. Um, I suppose I'd include you into that as well. And um, being, being around um, people that are entrepreneurs that have, um, you know, gone out there and just got on with it and just, just done something. Um, it's been quite inspiring. And, and it's, um, it's it's got me to the point where I was like, right, I need to to take this. I've 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 taken the first step. I've created this podcast. Now what's what's next? And um, yeah, I've I've realised that there's things in the the franchising industry that I'd like to change and I'd like to to do. But the the main driver for me is to uh, educate more people around franchising. So um, I've got a website that's in development, hoping to to launch by the end of the month. Uh, I'm using a franchise brand to do that, <laughs> to help me with that, which is cool. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's going to be kind of a central hub for um, information and advice around franchising, leveraging social media to get it in front of as many people as possible, ultimately. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I think the podcast is a, a way to do that in a, a fairly modern and different way, as well as some video content as well as some of the more traditional things like articles, but just presenting them in the right way. And um, the other thing that I really wanted to do is make sure that the smaller franchisors had a chance to get a voice out there because, um, you know, working within expense reduction analysts, what I learned was you can spend a lot on these franchise portals. And, you yeah. know, when you consider the value of the the franchise license for some of the, for some brands, it's just, you know, you can't spend that money. Um, because yeah, you, the returns aren't that ridiculous. high yeah, from yeah. those listing sites. So, yeah, I wanted to to, to add value to um, franchisors by helping them to create some content through the podcast and videos, but also um, educate more people about franchising. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the, the, the main hub of it. But through de- sort of the demand, I'm now finding a lot of franchisors are interested in and in using me for that kind of, I call it proactive search. Yeah. But it's head hunting, mate. Head hunting. Yeah. Head hunting. Yeah. Basically, yeah. approach um, for, for franchisors to, to generate leads. So, um, yeah. It excites me. I'm not going to lie to you. I like the sound of it. You've talked to me a little bit off camera about it, and I'm definitely going to get on board with it. So, it'll be interesting to see how that falls out. <laughs> Yeah, I just got to find my feet. Um, but yeah, I'm at that point right now as we're, we're sort of doing this interview where it's um, exciting one minute, daunting the next. I'm confident it will work. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot over the last 12 months or so. Um, and now it's just time to take action. And 
Um, I know you're talking to me about having a little logo in the background of of the the franchise, you know, my my company. But I also think I need just do it written somewhere as well because that's yeah. that's kind of the, the thing that I needed to do. I needed to hear like twelve or so months ago was just just do it. Get on with the podcast. Get on with making a change. I, I think I think a lot of people do. You, it's easy when you do have your own business to say to people just go for it because you know that that's what you want to do. But at the same time, Ed. You can't just do that. You can't literally just do it because you have to put some prep into it. You have to put some planning into it. You have to make sure your money's right, especially when you're married with kids and responsibilities. But yeah, just go for it. And I think I can't wait to see this journey. I can't, I'm, I'm well on board for it, mate. But yeah. Yeah, well, you, you might be forced to see it on LinkedIn because I'm going to be probably increasing <laughs> the amount of output on, on that as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I leave ERA on, on good terms and um, yeah. I'm sure I'll be working with them again at some point in the future, but I kind of need to just do my own thing now. You know, um, like I say, being around so many people that have, have done that and yeah. learning a lot as well. That's, that's been a big thing. I think if, if I was to give anybody some advice on changing careers, surround yourself with those people constantly. Um, when I was trying to get into marketing, I started to go to um, events that were for around digital marketing. I just started speaking to the guys there and trying to understand what their problems were and, you know, what they were yeah. doing, what was exciting them, what software they were using, you know, what their, what their clients' problems were. And, you know, I learned so much doing that. And I think this is the same in franchise and industry for me is I've spent a lot of time networking and getting to know people in the industry. And that's given me a lot of confidence to take this, this next step. Well, actually, not just me, but my wife as well, because she can see, you know, I've, there's people coming to me with opportunities rather than me chasing them. And I think that's, yeah, that's that that's, helps your confidence good, and it helps yeah, you take that first step. You always need a good reason to leave something as well as to go to something, don't you? And it's another one that's just ringing to me that is, that is so true is surround yourself by the right type of people. It's a massive statement that no one really understands it, but family, friends, work colleagues, everything, you are who you hang around with. And people don't understand that until um, so you do. Your life won't change. End of. Yeah, well, I, you know, I look at who I was when I was on the on the marquees, right? And uh, we were sort of talking about it briefly beforehand. I was completely different to what I am today. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more <laughs> mischievous, you know. Um, but it, maybe that's a bit mature, bit of maturity. But I think also it's just you know going into an office based environment. You just have to tone down the way you speak to people a bit and. Um, yeah. Well, you see people who inspire you, mini, mini inspirations. You think, actually, I want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. And thinking about, it, I really enjoy this. I don't, I, what I thought I enjoyed, I don't enjoy anymore. And that's how you change. You, know, you change your dynamics by being around different people. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And even kind of friend groups. I look at some of my friends and think, yeah, I'm, I'm a different person to what what they are I was, now. I was then, yeah. You compl- I, I'm, 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 it rings true to me, mate, massively that. Yeah. So, mate, I don't know how to end your podcast. I don't know how you usually do it. I forgot the terminology you use, but I do know you've got three questions that you always ask. Yes. So if I go with the first one, and I've got it written down in front of me, so I'm, I apologise for uh, my eyes not looking at you, but is there any funny or strange stories that you'd like, to, or weird stories you'd like to share with us? No. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you have to. 
Yeah, I know. I set the rule, didn't I? I, I created the question, <laughs> so I've got, to, I've got to give an answer. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, really. Um, I mean, there's some crazy stuff that I can't mention, but I, I, I always go back to this, the same one, um, <laughs> which I've already told you, and I said I wouldn't say it. But um, yeah, but basically, I was um, in in Reed, so uh, on the high street, and we'd have people that would walk off the street for an interview and, and you know, look look for, for work. And this one girl's come in and I've gone to the front door and there's kind of a little interview room that you kind of take them into. So we're, we're sitting there chatting away and you're just asking the normal questions. And I was like, okay, so what sort of work are you, you know, willing and, and looking to do? And um, bold as anything, she kind of leant forwards squeezed her arms together a little bit and went, I will do any thing. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I need to get out of this room quickly before something goes very wrong. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what to do here. Like, And I'm trying to be professional, super professional, because you got to remember, I come from kind of uh, blue collar work into, into the office and at first, I was scared to pick up the phone, so I didn't know. I didn't know how to act in this environment. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I just said to her, "Okay, that's good to know." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, let's narrow it down Brilliant. a little bit. Is it admin or customer service? <laughs> <laughs> and I think she got the hint that you know I wasn't interested. I, you know, for me, I had a girlfriend at the time, and uh, yeah, just. I was like, I don't want to even go there at all. So yeah. I just kind of swiftly moved on, which, yeah, I guess is a skill in itself, right? To be able to dive, yeah, divert right. the conversation. But... <laughs> I think I would have dashed out the door. Okay, so that's that one out of the way. Number two, any proud, um, inspiring moments you can think of you want to share? Yeah, so I, 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 I can't think of one thing where I'm like super proud of myself or anything other than, yeah, I guess maybe now, now I think about it, starting the podcast, just doing it, you know, rather than moaning about it to people and procrastinating and I'm in an R in and I did plenty. How, of, how many guests have you had on it now, mate? What, 50. So I'm 50. guest number 51, so to speak. But yeah, 50 different guests. So um, yeah. That's something to be proud of though, isn't it, mate? That's what I mean. That's... Yeah, but I think just, just doing it. Like, there's been lots of stuff where, I, you know, I had idea from my own little pizza shop and stuff like that, and you, you just share that idea around and never do anything about it. But I was proud I actually took that first step. And I know one of the first conversations I had was with uh, Ian Griffiths from the Party Tent Company, and he just went, yeah, just do it, mate. Just grab a microphone, and once you're ready, I'll do it with you. We'll just go through it. And if it's shit, you know, we won't bother. And... And I was like, okay, don't know if I want to. I want it to be perfect. And yeah, yeah it took, took me a little while. It took me a few weeks to get my head around it. But once I did it, um, yeah, I probably wasn't the best I could be at that point in time. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad I did. And I'm thankful to him and to everyone along the way who supported me. So, um, yeah, no specific proud moment. But just getting that up and running is probably one thing. Uh, but uh, I've already mentioned the inspiring stuff. Again, it's not one moment; it's a series of moments. With when speaking with people, I think, I think about um, Chris Goodchild from Best Magic Mirrors. Um, yeah, he was he was talking about you know his his background and, and where he 
how he got to where he is today. And that you, you I can't remember really clear in, in his head. He was just like, um, if you're fed up of your job and you, you, you know, you don't want to do what you're doing anymore, don't sit there and moan about it and complain to people because you'll go nowhere. That will, nothing will happen. Instead, stay till up till 12 at night, every night if you have to, and do the work you need to do to do what you need to. Yeah. Just get on with it. Stop whinging and get on with it. And I was like, yeah. fuck, he's so, he's so right. And that's what I should be doing more. And um, yeah, that, that probably was a really big inspiring moment for me um, was <laughs> him indirectly telling me, you know, just to get on with it. To get on with shut it. Shut up and get on with it. He's such a nice fella, Chris. I've spent a bit of time with him. He's a, he's a right character. I love him. I quite like him. Yeah. I, like, I like him a lot. And his story is amazing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And, 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 you know, every story I've listened to along the way, you know, yours included in in that as well has been, you know, a real eye opener and, and a real um, learning journey for me to go through to get to the point where, again, I feel feel more confident in what I'm doing because I've I've been around you guys and you've you've inspired me to 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 do something. And um, yeah, that's probably my answer. Number three, mate, the last one. A piece of advice you give to someone looking at buying a franchise? Well, I mean, there's there's tons, right? And I could, you could go on all, all, all day about it. But again, if I think back to probably the most valuable piece of advice I heard from somebody, you know, who, who I interviewed, it's uh, Wes Barefoot, who's a, a broker in the U.S., I mean, I mean, he's got tons. Listen to his episode, listen to his podcast. It, unbelievable amount of advice. But yeah. I think that the... Oh, no, I've got two. I'll come to the other one in a moment. But <laughs> the, 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 the the when you're doing your due diligence, when you're trying to find out, is this the right franchise for you or not? It's not to look for unsuccessful franchisees because every franchise brand is going to have them because it's starting a business. There's always a risk and the model might not always fit everybody. Despite all the hard work you can do at the front end to try and negate that situation, the franchisor doesn't want people failing in their network and the person themselves doesn't want to fail. So don't focus so much on that, but do speak to somebody who's failing. Try and get the franchisor to, to give you somebody who is failing but also speak to somebody who's at the very top or very near to the top and value that time massively because you can learn so much from speaking to those two contrasts about what it takes to be successful. The person who is successful probably doesn't really know what they're doing in terms of make themselves successful. They're just turning up, doing the work, following the model. And that's, well, that, that's it. it. Well, I, I'm not going to. I wanted to say something, but you crack on now. Shut up. But if you can dig into it by understanding the contrast between the two people, you'll understand on a day to day basis what you need to be doing. So, yeah. you know, ask the person at the top, what time are you getting up and starting work? Ask the person at the bottom the same question. So, one of the, the likelihood of the one at the bottom is saying, you know, sort of nine o'clock and, you know, then I'll start yeah. doing this and then this. The person at the top is probably going, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm up at seven, getting cracking with what I need to do, planning out my day, X, Y, Z. Then I'll take my kids to school at nine, having already mm-hmm. done two hours worth of work. And then I'll come back and and, and yeah. you'll you'll see what it takes to be that person at the top or 
on you know near as and if you can't see yourself doing what that person's doing or the difference between the two or some approximation of it then don't don't invest because you're not going to be successful and so it's too big a risk but if you can see yourself emulating what that person at the top is doing and avoiding what the person at the bottom is doing then i think you know this is a good brand regardless of what the the support and everything else is like but this is a good opportunity for you yeah. do you want to do your second one or? <laughs> yeah go on then uh so the second one is what i did in while i was in recruitment and that is to <laughs> I, I joke about it being a conversation with myself but it is basically sitting down and forcing yourself to answer some important questions about what you want to do in your life so what are you good at what are your values what are you bad at what don't you want to be doing um I'm, I'm, you know what what does your life look like in five years time that what, what do you want it to be you know because re- reality is most people are sort of instant thought would be ah oh, be nice to be on the beaches all the time wouldn't it yeah but, but that's not realistic is it unless you're going yeah, to become a millionaire the thing is with that statement there's a lot you actually wouldn't because i think without progression and purpose you get really sad really quickly but yeah exactly yeah. and as soon as you know what motivates you what your values are you'll realize that and yeah. and that's what i realized is i needed variety and uh, an ever-changing challenge you know so yeah. as soon as i knew that when i looked at the next opportunity or the you know the the, the next idea whilst i didn't i I didn't know what it is. I didn't go, right, I want to be a podcaster. I looked at it and went, okay, so I could, that's something that I can always improve on all the time. There's always new technology coming out in terms of marketing that business and how to uh, approach it. Um, I'm going to be meeting people all the time, which I enjoy doing and building relationships. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it, it was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense for me to take that next step and the same with marketing you know it's the same thing i could see that digital marketing in particular is ever evolving so by forcing myself to sit down and write out all this stuff it made me think about it and i had to refer you know and i could refer back to it every time i wanted to um, make a, a big decision about my life and my career or if i wanted to apply for something it just gives you almost like a, a framework to follow because you're your first thoughts are always just a bit up in the air, like, oh yeah, I'd just I'd just love to be yeah. going to more restaurants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great bit of advice, both of them, mate. I like them both. I resonate but with both of them to be honest with you. So yeah, I think a great bit of advice. That's it, mate. I don't know how, what your uh, strap line <laughs> is at the end. But um thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, um, well, I look I look forward to seeing being posted on social media to like and share. You're going to deal with that part, though, yeah. <laughs> you're going to do yeah. the editing and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll do all that for you, man. I'll just send it you to package up. <laughs> no, fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll wrap it up then to and say thank you so much, Ryan, for for taking the time to interview me. I think I think um, it's been interesting for me to experience it from the other side, and um, yeah, you've you've been a fantastic host. Thank you for being kind of me and not asking me too many difficult questions. And uh, yeah, lovely. Thanks very much, mate. It's it's an inspiring story and I'm looking forward to your next journey, mate. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for your time, Ryan. Cheers, mate. I hope you agree. He was uh, 
very good. He kept the the whole podcast flowing, and and I have to say, I learned quite a bit from sitting on the other side of the mic, so to speak, and being the person being interviewed. Um, Ryan was very relaxed and laid back in the way that he he asked the questions, and yeah, put me at ease so much so that I. I started to talk about things that I didn't really think uh, I would talk about because they're the stuff that probably been buried deep inside over the over the years, you know. So um, nice, nice to get that out for me. But um, we also kind of talked about. Uh, it's very strange, this, by the way, talking about myself and the conversation <laughs> that I've just uh, provided. But yeah, I, I think some of the key things that stand stood out for me listening back to this were my realization around the banks and how much they were willing to offer to people ready to to start their own business underneath a franchise brand that for me is one massive thing that is not not known enough by enough people that there's this opportunity out there um so something i'm really going to be um promoting to the to the world as much as possible the other thing that I guess um, sticks out in my memory from that conversation as well is that uh, as, as I reflect and look back on my career and how it's changed and how I've gone from essentially blue collar worker into white collar into entrepreneur uh, and in, in the marketing world as well is that you are yeah it's like that saying you're 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 the result of the six or seven people that are closest to you or around you most of the time and it, that's why it's so important to surround yourself with the right people this this podcast just as an example has given me such a, a great opportunity to be around entrepreneurial minded people who um, yeah have got a positive mindset can do attitude and it's infectious so if you if you listen to these podcasts and you can go over one thing from this I would I would say do that just Work out what it is that you want to do and go and surround yourself with people that are already doing it because you'll you'll learn so much from them and, and be inspired along the way as well. So anyway, I guess that's enough from me, right? You've been listening to me for nearly an hour now already and uh, you don't need me to waffle on too much more. So it just leaves me to say uh, thank you very much for listening. Make sure you check out Symphony on symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchise to find out all about their services around their customer service support center and um, yeah if you, if you want to find out more about the franchise and what i'm doing make sure you check out my linkedin page just called the franchised but also um, over over the next few weeks and months we're going to be uh, updating the website so make sure you check out www.thefranchised.com uh, i've also got a youtube channel as well where there's loads of uh, advice videos going on there as well as uh, previous episodes so if you prefer to, to watch rather than listen check out that channel as well so thank you very much once again and i hope to catch you on the next one bye bye